I was a director and I thought I wanted a career change to marketing on this idea of the greener grass, in spite of the fact that many mentors told me that everything about me indicates that supply chain could be the best place for me. But I moved into it and I, I was really unhappy and I rediscovered my passion that I need to be where people are. Where can I guide the, the organization towards something where the teamwork is a pulse of every minute? And I was lucky enough that some people believe in me and they gave me the opportunity to come back. And ever since I was a supply chain person, the happiest of them. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PG Alumni Podcast. I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. And I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. Roman and I both got our start at PG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like being a fly on the wall for my mentoring coffees. On today's show, we're talking to PNG alumni leader Gustavo Gori, Chief Supply Chain Officer of Kimberly Clark. Yeah, Drew, this was a really good conversation about the importance of having passion for your work throughout your entire career. Yeah, and something that Gustavo is, is passionate about passion in a way. Here's a quick bio of Gustavo. Gustavo Gori is the newly minted chief supply chain officer of Kimberly Clark, where he's bringing his experience as an executive with more than 35 years in the consumer goods industry. Most recently, he was chairman and co-founder of Smarter Chains, a company that focuses on creating agile manufacturing operations for manufacturers around the world. Gustavo got his start at Procter & Gamble as a team manager at a plant in Venezuela and began gaining roles of increasing responsibility at both the global and regional level, overseeing both manufacturing and supply chain functions, including time in Cincinnati, Mexico, and Switzerland, eventually becoming vice president of product supply global manufacturing with special focus on creating a path to the factory of the future for PNG. Gustavo studied chemical engineering from the Universidad Simón Boulevard in Caracas, Venezuela, and he serves on numerous advisory boards and is a member of the International Society of Business Leaders and collaborates with the World Economic Forum and manufacturing-related initiatives. He is also an avid runner and cyclist. Drew, what I really love about Gustavo's bio is that he had a broad range of experiences in and out of of big companies. The jump into entrepreneurship is something I can really relate to. Did you ever take something like a broadening assignment, you know, doing something just to learn and maybe something you didn't want to do? I mean, it's something that uh, Gustavo talked about with a pivot that he had potentially into marketing. I never did it within PNG within the company. While I was still at PNG, I did think as I was doing improv and stand up on the side before starting my company, I was like, you know, maybe I want to be an actor. <laughs> and I took a I took an auditioning class and realized one I hate the auditioning and two I realized I can't make it look like I'm listening to something for the first time. Like as as an actor I was just always there kind of like waiting for someone to say their line so that I could then say my line, which is maybe why I've always been drawn to to improv because you're making it up or stand up because it's no one else talking. Yeah, but yeah, I, I learned that it, that wasn't for me. What I really enjoyed then was was speaking. But uh, what about you? You know, a couple of times, like you know, growing up as a, a digital manager integrated with the brand teams, there was 
the bigger fish was always media. And so, you know, one of the first brands I worked on, they allowed me to kind of take on media planning. And then there were kind of roles where I got to step outside of my category and even region and go train other digital managers in other countries. So I basically, you know, some really good advice. One of my first bosses and a guest you interviewed, Andy at Nike, he told me is don't focus on kind of climbing the ladder straight up, you know, what's the next promotion, et cetera. He's like, just learn as broadly as you can and go sideways as much as you can. Cause it'll just, it's not about being more well-rounded. It's figuring out not just what your blind spots are, but what you're good and what you're not good at. And I think I've kind of always taken that approach, whether it's at startups or in big companies, the idea of broadening assignments and moving laterally slowly up versus trying to shoot up the ladder as fast as you can. Yeah. And so what's the equivalent corporate, la- is there a corporate mountain that you're trekking? What do you think the metaphor is for, for that approach? <laughs> it's it's a winding path, uh, a winding path up the hill, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's this kind of Zen idea of don't focus on the destination, focus on the path and the journey. Yeah. Well, and, and something that Gustavo talks about is even with, you know, once he retired of why he went into entrepreneurship was he's like, what do I do with all of this experience that I've gained? And now he's taking that experience that he's gained both, you know, at big companies and in the entrepreneurial side uh, back into a big company. But uh, the overall, I think it's a, it's a fantastic conversation about passion and leveraging that experience that you do, you know, gain over time. So I'm, I'm excited for people to, to have a listen. So uh, let's dive right in. On today's show, we're talking to Gustavo Lopez-Gori. He is the recently announced Senior Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer of the Kimberly Clark Corporation. Gustavo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Drew. Excellent. So our audience is mostly mid-career professionals like me trying to navigate the balance of work and life. And I know that our conversation is going to be great for them to hear based on your kind of experience and your your insight. So I want to jump right in. Now, some may know your professional story. So you graduated from Universidad Simón Bilobar in Venezuela in 1981, joining Procter & Gamble right after as a team manager at at the plant in Venezuela. And then over the next 35 years, you held roles of increasing responsibility within P&G, overseeing manufacturing and supply chain functions. And that included some time in Cincinnati, Mexico, Switzerland, and you eventually became VP of product supply for P&G. Then after that, after you retired, you spent three years as chairman and co-founder of Smarter Chains, and then just now, as mentioned, recently announced as a senior vice president of product supply for Kimberly Clark. And so my first question for you is, you know, when you were growing up in Venezuela, is that kind of the career you would imagine you would have? Like, what did 10-year-old Gustavo want to be? <laughs> what a beautiful question. No, it wasn't. I never thought I wasn't going to live the life I live. So far, I never thought I was going to be executive in such an amazing institution like Procter & Gamble and do the many things that I did. Ten years old, I quite frankly will be telling you probably a lie if I tell you exactly what I wanted to do. But I, I remember me even, but I always see, I can tell you for sure, is that ever since that young, I had this desire to work. Okay. I wanted to work. <laughs> and I do remember, maybe it wasn't even 10 years old, but I remember me walking on the street with my mother and certain points sometimes doing errands or stuff like that, or just walking from school back home. And looking at in Venezuela, there is a lot of young kids that sell the newspapers on the streets and they have this pile of newspapers on their head. 
and they sell those in the in the corners. And I do remember me telling my mother that I wanted to sell newspapers. <laughs> so that was one of the things that I kind of dreamed in one point of my life that I was going to do. And then if I can expand on this same question, I had to tell you something. I'm a chemical engineering, but the day I graduated, and this is, it connects with my earlier days, this comment, my mother was the happiest person in the whole world, as you can imagine. And she was celebrating and really, really in a, in a very special way to, to the point that I asked her, mom, what's going on? And she tells me, I'm so happy you are not a doctor. And uh, I said, okay, that's why you're celebrating that I'm not yeah. a doctor. Because well, I used to say as a child, I will be a doctor so I can take care of health issues in the family or whatever, <laughs> things like that. And she was very happy I wasn't going to be a doctor. So I asked her, you know, why? Why are you happy about that? And she said, well, I believe you have been a doctor. You, you will really be very poor and you will have a lot of trouble because you will never charge people to <laughs> save them from, right. from illness. And say, oh, okay, I see. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm an engineer. So yes, that's part of what happened to me in the early days in regards to what yeah. dreams I had and <laughs> where to go. And I never forget this anecdote of my mother. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like that because that maybe it speaks to the, the character that you have, that if you were going to help people, you wouldn't necessarily want to save them if they did have an illness. And she's probably also happy that you didn't just stay a newspaper boy, didn't become one and just stay that for the <laughs> I guess she was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you graduate with a degree in chemical engineering. And where did the opportunity with P&G come in? And like, why did you decide that was the company that you wanted to work with? It was a beautiful encounter of my life. Okay. I was still in college days. And there is a process for you to get internships in companies, etc. And I miss the dates, totally miss the dates to apply and search and do the connections, etc. One day I am in school and walking through a hallway and I see a sign on the wall, literally a piece of paper stick on the, <laughs> on the wall that says, looking for an internship, call this number. And I call. It was PNG. It was PNG, the Caracas plant in La Jaguara. They told me, can you come this afternoon? And I did. <laughs> so I went there. I had a, an amazing hour and a half with a person that interviewed me that maybe even the name will, will sound. His name is Sandro Liberatocholi. And Sandro was a bass player of the group Aditus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but he interviewed me and it was an amazing, amazing interview, good time together. And sure enough, I got the internship in the Caracas plant. So that's how I got to know about PNG. Wow, because of a phone number posted on the wall. So that's yes. that's quite an example of the different styles of recruiting working out. So some of it's the big applications and things like that. And sometimes it's a phone number posted. <laughs> well, believe me, I had to do all of that as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. You still had to do yeah, you still had to do all the the hard work, the interviewing. Yeah. If you spend an hour and a half with them, I'm sure that it went well. And so you spent 35 years then at PG and you went from team manager at a plant in Venezuela to working in Mexico and Cincinnati and, you know, these different places ultimately rising to to vice president. And so what do you attribute the kind of continued promotions and increasing responsibility to? Was it kind of your work style? Was it mentorship? Was it your own leadership style, your work ethic, like all of those above, none of those things? Like, what do you attribute it to? It would be very difficult to tell you that is one single thing that specifically drove what you're describing sounding like a success, okay? <laughs> <laughs> to me, at the, that day I interviewed with Sandro, 
that was already a big success for me. And, uh, and I did only the internship out of that interview. And then a year after I, I joined the company, which I thought it was a perfect fit for me from the value standpoint. It was a place I liked the people, I liked the challenge, and I liked the trust that the company give to very young people getting into. And we do that all the time. We've done that forever. And uh, but those days, to me, was very special. I believe what happened, one of the ingredients that I know is a constant of why, what I could do, the things I did, and I escalate, et cetera, et cetera, is that there, there was always somebody that trusted you in my career. There was always somebody that uh, I know you can do this, and they gave you the opportunity to lead a piece of work, a team, or out of the, your norm type of work responsibility, running a plant, running a region, leading different things. So, so there was always somebody trusting, okay? And that ingredient is a constant. And it's something that it always makes me feel grateful for all those opportunities that a lot of people gave me. Also, of course, you have to work hard. Huh? You have to work hard and you have to deliver results. But everybody goes there to work hard and deliver results. So there is something that helps uh, other, some people to be in different positions than others or escalate faster or have different responsibilities. And, and I have to, to tell you that, yes, you deliver results, you work very hard, but you impersonate and live through the principles and values of this company. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a big chance to succeed and do procedures, your dreams, and do things with no fear. And I don't know which one of these is the one that the eighty twenty of why I got what I got, but it was an amazing ride from day one to December thirty first of twenty sixteen when I left. Every single day of my life, it was a thrill to learn and get excited about the learning and have people around me that could trust me and that share my values and principles. Yeah, I think it I think that's fantastic. And like you said, yeah, any any type of career, it's not gonna be just one thing that gets you there. And and the people is one of the things that comes up over and over again. Even at my time at PNG talking to is like, why do people stay at PNG? It's like, oh, the people. When people left, they're like, what do you miss most about PNG? Oh, the people. It's like part of the reason why we wanted to do this podcast, why the PNG alumni network exists. And so I'm curious, as a leader, as you started to be the manager of others. How did you try to instill that in your own group of people to provide that support or be that mentor? What types of things were you doing for to give back in a way for the same people that helped you coming up? How did you do that as a leader for others? This is a great question. I think being a manufacturing guy, supply chain guy, but really, really uh, my core was manufacturing. I started in manufacturing. I did a lot of things in manufacturing that we can talk about if, if we have time. But manufacturing is above everything is a people system. Because of that, if the sooner you realize that as a manufacturer, it will be way more successful in that area. I'm a lucky man that found a job in this company, but also in the area where people are and where the essence of the day-to-day -day is people. So if you have this core belief and you behave accordingly to it, meaning you are there to coach, help, support, and together learn to create a better path forward to deliver today's results and create capability for tomorrow every single day of your life, that turns you into a good leader, let's say. N not that I'm saying I'm a good leader because <laughs> I'm just a prospect of a leader and I've been working all my life on this. 
but I know this is core to becoming that leader. Yeah. And I like that focus on it's a thing that you do daily. It's the actions that you do each day. And so you, you alluded to your time in manufacturing. And I one of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, when we we talk with people and we look at your resume and see the titles and things like that, we see a lot of success. And you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, but I'm curious, have there been any kind of key failures or key things that didn't quite work out the the way that you wanted them to or thought that they would? And how have those types of things informed or influenced you going forward? There are many failures that I can talk about in my career. There is one particular experience that I lived through that really opened my eyes to many things about myself. And I grew up a lot. Did I call it a failure? I don't know, but it wasn't what I was expecting when I did it, okay? I was already a mature leader in the company, meaning about 20 years in the company. I was the director. I was having a very nice career, very good assignments. And I transferred to Cincinnati to do an innovation job work for the Tishon Tower business. And while I was doing that, I thought I wanted to do a career change, a career exploration, let's call it this way. And I asked the company to support me to go into marketing. So I went to marketing on this idea of the greener grass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And being at that point in time of my career, the grass wasn't that greener. (laughs) And I wasn't happy. So quite frankly, I cannot tell you, well, is that marketing is too difficult or anything like that. But I can tell you I wasn't happy there. But because I was supported to do it or I did it in spite of the fact that many of the mentors, advisors or people, leaders in the company told me that I might be making a mistake because my core, um, everything about me indicates that supply chain could be the best place for me. I insisted on doing it because, and, and I can explain you why. So I went and moved into it and I, I was really having unhappy time. But it made me feel and think, internalize a lot and think a lot about me and in general, uh, the direction I should take on, etc. And I rediscovered my passion. I rediscovered that I need to be where people are, okay? Yeah. <laughs> where I can lead teams, when I can shape an organization, where I can, you know, where can I guide the organization towards something where we are. The teamwork is a pulse of every minute where things happen in a different way. Uh, So I had, I confess, I went back to the company and say, hey, if you tell me no, it's okay. I understand that I push it too much. But if I can go back to PS, I would love to. (laughs) 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 And I was lucky enough that, again, some people trusted me and believed in me and they gave me the opportunity uh, to come back. And ever since I was a supply chain person in the entire company, the happiest of them. Okay. <laughs> I was the happiest director. I became the happiest VP. I became the happiest supply chain person in the whole history of PNG, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, and one, it, it speaks to that you're willing to try something and then realize, oh, it didn't work and say, hey, this I'm not quite as passionate about this. But I'm also curious. So sometimes people have this sense that work is just work, right? It's the thing that you have to do to support your life and your lifestyle and that kind of thing. So what value or role do you see happiness and what you do playing into your success or at least enjoyment of your work? Well, it's essential to me. I cannot separate one from the other. It's like I need to feel as a complete individual. And part of this individual is the work I do and how much I enjoy what I do. 
lucky enough in that experience, I worked for a company that even in that scenario where I tried to attempt <laughs> to do something new that wasn't in the plans of the company for sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was allowed to do it. This is the type of institution we're talking about here. A company that even in that situation, in that case, give you the opportunity to do it and try it. And it was open enough to also manage your way back. But yes, I cannot separate, quite frankly, one from the other. I personally, myself, and not everybody will be like me necessarily, but I do feel my profession is such a critical part of my life. My, my professional life is so essential for me to feel complete with my family, with myself, with my loved ones. I like to be proud of what I'm doing. Therefore, it's important for me to enjoy it. That's why those days were miserable days to me, <laughs> where I wasn't enjoying my day-to-day. My day-to-day, I describe it to you and you cry. But maybe another person describes that day-to-day and it's a very happy day-to-day. But for me, <laughs> for me, it wasn't. I had to get out of that rapidly. I didn't want to be a failure to PNG. I didn't want to be a failure to myself. I wasn't a failure to myself because I saved myself by coming back. (laughs) (laughs) The comeback with this growth and this experience made me a better leader. I'm sure about that. A person that was more aware of himself. I became more aware of things that I didn't know about myself, driving forces, motivations, modesty in the way you evaluate what you do, what you don't do, what you can do, what you cannot do, what you would like to become versus what you should not even aspire to or etc and then so i became i have to believe that out of that i became a better person and a better father a better citizen let's say mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so a bit you know a better person in general yeah well and i think to i mean to your point that sometimes trying out something and realizing you liked the previous thing is makes that previous thing even stronger by going back into supply chain product supply you probably had a renewed sense of like, oh, no, this is where I'm happy. This is the thing that I'm meant to do or excited to do. So I'm curious because you, you've you worked on each continent. You've traveled and been in different assignments, not only just in Venezuela and Cincinnati, but also Mexico, Geneva, etc. And now a word from our sponsor. Today, we're talking to entrepreneur Luigi Matrone of the eBusiness Institute where they enable clients to accelerate business transformation through an end-to-end offering connecting strategy to implementation. Luigi, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Excellent. So I want to jump right in. You know, I I know these days people are buying more and more online, right? E-commerce is booming. But I'm curious, what does it actually take to win in this virtual shelf environment? Well, first, let me establish that the virtual shelf is nothing like the traditional shelf we're used to in physical stores. The winners in the online commerce understand what we call the FACE model. Okay, and and FACE, I think, is an acronym. What does it stand for? Exactly. So FACE stands for findability. How easy is to find your products? This is influenced by uh, search, filters, navigation on the website. We know that products appearing on the first uh, search results page are often the winners. Then the A stands for assortment. Not all products are fit for e-commerce. Can I ship a 15 euros product and still make a profit? To win, you have to understand the economics of the online channel. Define the right portfolio, pricing and promotional strategy. C stands for content. This is what uh, consumers actually see. We have uh, differentiated the best seller out there 
and it's clear that they win on content. Their content is addressing shopper barriers and it's giving clarity to what am I actually buying. Last but not least, E stands for experience. Content is not everything. I cannot touch your product, so you have to give me more. Are you offering me services like gifting, subscription? How am I paying for your product? And how do I get it at home, delivery? So how you treat your customer makes a huge difference between am I doing a single time purchase or am I actually coming back to buy again and again? Wow, that's a, a fantastic model that it seems like a lot of people could use to, to do a gap analysis almost in a sense of where they, they sit. I want to go back to the C part, the content though, because I feel like that's what I see the most as a shopper. And I see a lot of content coming out on, say, social media. Is the content that converts for an online retailer different than what we see in a lot of other places? Oh yeah, absolutely different. Think about it. Someone visiting an online retail product page is ready to buy. So content needs to facilitate the purchase process and needs to answer all those questions I have before I add the product to basket. This is a very different objective from what a brand might have and might want to achieve through uh, social media. And the key is having a clear consumer journey strategy with a clear definition of the role that each channel is playing into the path to purchase. Winners and losers are clearly differentiated here between having it or not having it. Now that is fantastic. If people want to learn more about the face model or the consumer journey strategy or some of the other insights that you provide, where can they find out more? Absolutely on our website, ebusinessinstitute.com or can reach me on LinkedIn as Luigi Matrone. Excellent. Well, Luigi, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And now back to our show. So I'm curious, was traveling to all of these different places always a goal? Were you asked to go to these places or did you talk with the family and were like, hey, we want to travel to somewhere new? How did these international or different location assignments come about? Well, I have to say that from day one in my PNG career, I always dreamed about leaving my country to something else, to learn something else. And it wasn't against the country, but even though it was very smart, my country is Venezuela. But I have to say, in the early 80s, I already sensed the deterioration coming in this country. And I was a, a young guy trying to start my career and start a family. And I couldn't see myself growing my family, my kids in the country, and feel good about that in general. I'm not, I hate to say things like this because I love Venezuela. I love my country. It gave me so much. But quite frankly, I was afraid of many things that could affect. I didn't even have kids at the moment, but the kids will come. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I had this desire to go out and explore the world, learn. And I did that. So the first opportunity presented to me was in the early stage of my career that I went to Cincinnati as a, in an R&D assignment out of manufacturing. And then I came back to manufacturing to the same Caracas plant to continue working there and developing there. And that was a, an amazing time of my life as well. And then I went to Mexico. Mexico happened already with the family, okay? And at that moment, it was a little bit of an adventure. There was a little bit of resistance in the family because at that time, that was oh, still, still is uh, the pollution problem in, in Mexico City. And it was kind of a process to convince ourselves, and even though I was already there in my mind, <laughs> that we had to go there. <laughs> and we did. And we had also a good time in Mexico City and in Mexico in general. 
country where I had a chance to touch many of my career dreams. And we grew up as a family, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then I moved to Cincinnati in the year 2000 after a few years in, in Mexico. Okay. But it sounds like, so family seems to be part of it. Cause this is also one of the questions that we're curious about. Cause some, some people listening are trying to find that balance between career and family and making decisions and things. And so what role has your family played in making those types of decisions? Or if you're presented with an opportunity, is it a conversation of, will I be able to maintain some type of work-life integration? How does that conversation come about with you and, and your family? Yeah. This family I'm describing right now is the growth of us and everything. The kids grew up and we went to the United States, Cincinnati, and that was a great thing for everybody and all of that. And But yes, the, the conversations in the family were always thinking about the greater good for everybody in the family. So the kids grew up and they had amazing opportunities just because of all these moves that made them more global-minded more ready for exploration of their life and pursue their dreams, discovering those dreams and pursuing. So just because of that, whatever we did was good. <laughs> whatever move was good because I have from my first marriage three amazing kids and they have their own careers and life now. And they are amazing people, which is fantastic. And I have to believe it's because of all these experiences as well that open horizons to to them and they took advantage of those opportunities to become better and grow and grow faster and develop strong. Yeah, which I think, yeah, we've talked with a few other people about global assignments or international assignments, and they've talked about kind of personal growth for them in their career and things like that. But that's a great point as well, that the family, if you grow up traveling to different places, you are exposed to a little bit more culture, exposed to a little bit more. And so with that kind of in mind, you retired from PNG and then co-founded a company. And I know some of our listeners are thinking about entrepreneurship themselves or they already are doing it. And so how did the family react when you say, hey, after I'm theoretically retired, but now I'm going to start this company? What was their reaction? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Let me go back to the prior question. So I connected with this yeah. answer. I have a second marriage and extremely happy with my family, with encountering in my life, Adriana, my wife, and the reason I'm mentioning her at this very moment is because when I faced the decision of coming to Geneva and work from here, I told her, because I want us to do our family together, I wouldn't accept this role unless she tells me that she will come with me. And she comes to my life with two wonderful kids. So in total, I have five kids, three from the prior marriage and two coming to my life through Adriana and with Adriana, two wonderful human beings. So here I face the moment I leave PNG, December, December 16, and I propose to my family that we stay here and we take life here with no PNG. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they came along with this. And they are part of the game from day one, and every play we discuss it. Okay, of course, we will go along through this process. And I did a little bit of consulting, which was a great time. And this desire to put all this experience, because that's, what, that's the feeling you have when you are, after these many years in this amazing place, learning so many things, and you get the point that you leave, or you will leave, or you will retire, and you say, what do I do with all this experience, no? <laughs> what do I do with all these things that I learned? How do I put it in play? How do I help others? How do I help uh, the industry? And I found this amazing opportunity, idea, any way you want to call it, with other two PNGers, and we put together Smarter Chains. And Smarter Chains is being a thrill, professional thrill, 
because we are not only putting all this experience to play, but we are helping so many industries to really find a way to transform their operations from wherever they are to digital and to bring them to the future, to accelerate progress, deliver resources never thought of and contribute bigger to growth and prosperity in society. So this is like, a wow, we found a place where all this experience can be put in play and it's being a fantastic ride. And I continue learning. That was one of my fears retiring is that uh, how would I, what would I do to continue learning? Because it's one of the drivers of my life to keep on learning. Yeah. So with the company itself, I know just recently won the first award in the supply chain category for one of the case studies that you shared. So clearly doing well with that. But then, so now there's a very new recent change that was just recently announced. And I'm curious, how did switching from, okay, being co-founder of this company that's doing well to now chief supply officer of Kimberly Clark, was that something you were seeking and decided you wanted to get back into big business? Was it something that came presented to you? Do you remember how that came to be? Yeah, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't looking for a job, really, and joining my job in Smarter Change a lot, because as I said before, it's full of learning <laughs> from the rich in resources corporation and a place where there is no impossible like png you go out and you need to start from scratch everything okay there is not no one to ask no one's to bounce your ideas with or whatever you just do it okay so this world of startups is simply amazing it's beautiful it's a big discovery every day and you learn so much so i had enjoyed every minute of it and it's been only three years <laughs> and every so often i had headhunters knocking the door and i was really not interested on in anything that would set me apart from <laughs> from what i was doing which is so beautiful then this opportunity came along presented to me by a headhunter i don't know how but i listened to him <laughs> Uh, he mentioned to me the profile of a person they needed. I felt describe it, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that I don't want to sound arrogant, but I, I, sound, I felt describe it. And I said, well, but that's kind of like, you're telling me that because you know about me or that you're trying to, to, manage, <laughs> to manage this in a way that I get really interested. Oh, okay, and let me pay attention to it. So I, I have two conversations with him and I happened to have the opportunity to talk to the CEO of the company. And I had an, an amazing conversation. And from then on, I was already in a recruiting process and a selection process. It was a very interesting process. At the beginning, I was just kind of learning and kind of having fun, understanding. But every time I got more and more into the idea that the transformation this company wants to go for is something that it will be so fascinating to be part of. So that's how it happened. And that's why I fell in love with the opportunity. And I'm going to take on it. I have to say also, Drew, that in the, in the whole process, there is kind of a, I mean, you are a png -er, no? Mm -hmm. yep. And this is Kimberly Clark, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's a direct competitor. It's not that you're betraying your alma mater and the love you have for such an amazing institution that gave me so much development and opportunities. But we are a good machine of producing good talent that can contribute to the industry in a bigger way and therefore to society as well. And I feel like this opportunity will make the industry better and uh, not against P&G. It's that uh, we together, the industry will be stronger and better and we will contribute 
more to society than, than we have so far. So I'm taking it with a lot of enthusiasm. I am very in love with the opportunity and the challenge in front of me. And I tell you, I will turn Kimberly Clark supply chain into the best supply chain in the planet. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's it, similar. I don't know. I left PNG in 2012 and I still am like, all right, I got to get Crest in the toothpaste aisle. I got to get Bounty and the Fabregal for paper mm-hmm. towels, et cetera. So yeah, because you spend time there, there's an appreciation for the quality. But like you said, there's also the ability to take that skill set and apply it somewhere else, which I think is is very exciting for Kimberly Clark and for you going forward. So what was the family's reaction to that one when you're like, okay, gone back from startup, now I'm going to go back into a big company? What was their thought to that? <laughs> That's the thing that puzzles more people, okay? That, okay, okay, hold on a second. You were in Procter & Gamble, you, you're enjoying the entrepreneurship kind of thing. Are you going back to a corporation? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> and you're moving as part of the corporation as well, right? Yeah. Yes, we are taking it with a lot of excitement, but it's also it's a totally new adventure, okay? This idea of coming back to corporate life. But I feel ready for it. I've been thinking a lot about it and internalizing how to do it. And I feel like I'm ready for it. And I feel my family is also excited about exploring even more. Okay. So we are strong together. We're going to do this with this passion and this unity. And so because I will need, I need the support of my family. I need so I can also support them. And this is a synergistic thing. And we are that excited. We are that excited. But we don't know what we don't know. It's a, it's a puzzle to still. It's like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? From the most basic housekeeping, logistics things to the most complex decisions like colleges and stuff like that. All of that has been talked <laughs> and revisited these days because it's a major transition. It's a, it's, it is a major transition for anybody, but it, specifically I'm living it right now. <laughs> yeah. But that's part of part of the excitement of it at all. So but as we start to wrap up, we want to do just a couple of quick kind of rapid fire questions, get to know you a little bit more. And so I'm curious, what's a fact about you that surprises most people? Very few people will know that I like to cook. Okay. All right. (laughs) If you're having a guest over and you want to impress them, what's the go to dish that you would cook? I will not have that dish in my mind. I will go to the kitchen. I will invent something at that moment. So one of my problems is that I cannot repeat recipes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But the way to impress or enjoy a meal is that if I am enjoying it, cooking it, I most likely will be a good one. (laughs) I like it. That's way different than my, like I'm the opposite. I'm the engineer side of if you tell me it needs a pinch of salt, I need that in a measurement form. I need to just follow (laughs) exclusively a recipe. So I like it to cook and, and just fabricate things up based on what's in the kitchen. Very nice. And what's your mode of relaxation or escape? Are you Do you watch TV, watch movies, read books, listen to podcasts? I like to read and I have wasted a lot of time of my life with Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, Netflix can be a good source. Anything that you're watching, anything interesting right now that you're resonating with? No, I, I took a decision of not taking the quarantine time to do that. Okay. So I rather took a few old books that I reread and I enjoy other things in the house, in the family. But no, I didn't do the taking into a series and stay there for like crazy. I didn't do that this time. And the truth of the matter is that because of the character of our business and uh, smarter chains, I did have a lot of work to do remotely because that's how we do 
the work. We actually even do plant assessments without going to the plants. So we did a lot of work and we launched in, out into the market one product, a benchmarking study that we put together, which was an amazing opportunity to do it at that time because it's, it's a good help for the industry to manage the unexpected. Yeah, and that, like, yeah I like, like that. Content. Yeah, uh, saying, okay, even in this time, I'm going to stay focused and busy. But I'm curious, so you said you refreshed on a couple of books. What's one of the books that you felt compelled to go back and reread or refresh on? I went back to uh, not the most exciting reading, <laughs> The Art of War, Sun Tzu. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then I took Latin American literature book, 100 Years Solitude. Ah, very nice. Very nice. And kind of last rapid fire question, who's someone that you would love to, if you had your own podcast, you'd love to interview them on your podcast or just sit down with a coffee with someone out there that you'd love to to have a conversation with? Wow. I would repeat some of the people you interviewed already in this podcast alumni process thing. I always enjoy a cup of coffee with John Pepper, Mm -hmm. an amazing individual. But if you ask me if I would have... This afternoon, a coffee with somebody, I want to have it with my wife. What a sweet, sweet answer. Hopefully, she'll listen to the podcast and feel that. <laughs> I don't know. She will. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can at least get, so she can at least know, or I'll, I'll, I'll send her an email and be like, she, okay, you gave a great answer. I will give you answer. the email so you pass yeah. it to her. <laughs> <laughs> you can just be like, completely unprompted. He could have said, have another conversation with John Pepper. He mentioned John Pepper, but then he said with you, but what a fantastic, <laughs> what a fantastic answer. And so, Gustavo, as we wrap up, this has been a fantastic conversation. But my last question for you is thinking about, kind of going for, which is potentially something that you're thinking about going into as a leader at Kimberly-Clark. But if you could give one final piece of advice or even perhaps a challenge to the next generation of leaders and entrepreneurs and employees, et cetera, what would it be? I do have a thought that I like to share with the next generation. I think it's very important that we learn to battle fear. We battle fear with love that we battle hate with reconciliation and we become passionate about everything we do. I will ask the next generation to be grateful, empathetic. I will ask that every individual thinks deeply about what difference can I make in the world to improve life of everybody. And I will beg for everybody to become authentic. That's probably what I will ask the new generation to do. What a fantastic sentiment said so very well. So Gustavo, thank you for sharing your wisdom, your insight with us, your time today. I know, I mean, the entire interview and especially that last response for me, I'm like, wow, that is Marty, like getting chills a little bit of like, what a fantastic thing and request for all of us, right? To go forward and be able to do so. Gustavo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. And that's our show. Like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's episode. 
I was really stressed out and couldn't go to sleep. And I came up with a motto that has really guided me well. And the motto is live, laugh, love, and let go. And what I mean by that is try to live life to its fullest. Laugh, laugh a lot. <laughs> you know, the world has its funny twists and turns and you can't be too serious. You have to figure out what you love because it makes the journey so much easier. And then probably the most important part is let go. Sometimes people hold themselves back because of what they think other people think they should be doing or what they conceive is the right thing in society. Don't worry about the little stuff. That's it for this week. I've been Andrew Tarvin. And I'm still Roman Segel. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.